This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Inner Source Healing Podcast, the program about healing from toxic abuse. My name is Deborah Ashway. I'm a mental health therapist and a licensed clinical addiction specialist, but I also have been where you are now and have experienced the devastating effects of toxic abuse. It has been a long journey through the path of healing, but when we finally awaken from the trance that we so easily fall into around toxic people, life can be absolutely amazing. It's like you can finally breathe, live, and experience life in full, vivid, extraordinary color. I want to help people get there by healing from dependency, codependency, trauma, and abuse. The healing process brings us through long-standing perceptions that have held us back from experiencing a more fulfilling and meaningful life. This episode is about toxic shame and codependency. Shame is really at the core of dependency and codependency. It's an inner experience of feeling unwanted, worthless, or rejected. When we're burdened with shame, we want to attach to something or to somebody else to escape the pain of the shame. Shame is so painful that we will sometimes do literally anything to avoid it. Shame tells us that we're not good enough or that there's something wrong with us. Usually after spending time with a person who has toxic behaviors or who has very little empathy and someone who continuously places all the focus on themselves, we begin to believe that we're like that. We, we begin to believe that what they say about us is true. And consequently, we end up disconnecting from our own true self. When we disconnect from our authentic self, what takes over is a sense of loneliness. We have literally abandoned our true character for the purpose of pleasing or placating or pacifying somebody else. It might have been out of fear. It might have been out of obligation. It might have been out of guilt. And remember those three things, fear, obligation, and guilt. Fog. That's how I remember it. Our head is in the fog. But nonetheless, when we are in the fog, some part of our protective self decided that it was safer to tuck away the more authentic part of ourselves than to allow that to be exposed. That authentic part of us is the best part of who we are because that's what exists at a soul level. That authenticity and empathy that exists there at the authentic part of ourselves, at the deepest part of ourselves, that's what the narcissists lack, and therefore that's what they desire. That's the part that someone with toxic behaviors usually either perceives as a threat in some way or doesn't understand. In some cases, they can't even see it because they're so disconnected from their own self. 
So in order to cope with somebody who lacks authenticity and empathy, we find ourselves morphing into their image of us. It's easier to become what they want us to be in order to avoid the negative consequences. We abandoned or tucked away the part of ourselves that was abused, traumatized, and neglected. While this saves us from the immediate pain of negative reactions and negative consequences, it also tends to leave us with a sense of deep shame, a sense of inadequacy, and a sense of inferiority. The term shame spiral was first coined by a clinical psychologist named Gershon Kaufman. When anyone perceives something as a threat, a protective part of the self steps in to block that pain. We all have protective parts of ourselves. It's when the protective part takes over that it can interfere with a healthy and functioning personality, which also interferes with healthy and functioning relationships. Most people have protective parts that help us through difficult moments, like when we need to hold it together emotionally until later. For people with cluster B personalities, the protective self dominates. It becomes so big that the actual self is pretty much all but forgotten. In extreme development of the protective self, such as in cluster B personalities, which are borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, histrionic, um, even sociopaths, and um, the absolute extreme, which is psychopaths, which is not part of the cluster B, but it still lacks empathy. In these cases, the true self is so well hidden that feeling emotions becomes really a distant experience. When someone can't feel their own emotions, they certainly can't feel anything for others. And since empathy is literally the ability to feel and understand others' emotional experiences, cluster B personality developments have little to no empathy or ability to feel what others are feeling. Without that ability, their whole world becomes a construct of what they think others would accept. Rather than feeling that or understanding that, they have to construct something. They have to kind of make it up as they go along. They study what emotions should look like, and they practice acting them out for their performances of appearing like a normal human being. But they have no actual connection with the emotions. And so therefore, they're protected from the painful ones. They have many different presentations or performances or otherwise known as faces. This can be confusing for the rest of us because it looks like they have feelings, at least it's at some level and some of the time. From the outside, it can look like two or, actually two or more different people, like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde syndrome. So you might occasionally see the most fun-loving person at one time, and then a moment later, a hate-filled anger monger emerges out of nowhere. And this causes great confusion in the witness to this personality transition. And the witness's brain then works hard at trying to solve and resolve this duality. And usually, if we're the witness, our brain turns to self-blame. And that's because it gives us a sense of control over this discrepancy. So, for example, after being on the receiving end of an anger outburst because the narcissist 
didn't want to do the dishes when they promised that they would. And also when you've been doing the dishes a hundred percent of the time, our brain might tell us not to mention the dishes anymore as if mentioning the dishes is wrong. Self-blame sneaks in with some underlying messages about how needy or how naggy or how selfish we are for being bothered by a sink full of dishes and expecting anyone to follow through on their promises. So we begin to tell ourselves that we shouldn't be so needy or petty or that there's something wrong with us because other people don't seem to mind sinks full of dirty dishes. And why should we expect somebody to follow through on their word? This internalized negative belief feeds any previous underlying emotion of self-blame that we might have had, and it feeds our shame, and it continues to spiral out from there. So furthermore, since the external problem of the anger outburst cannot be fixed or resolved internally, or by simply not asking about the dishes, the problem is never really able to be resolved. Our brains don't like unresolved issues. We want answers and solutions so that we can move on. Unresolved issues continue to loop around and around in the brain, trying different circuits, different scenarios, and various approaches in an attempt to solve a problem that caused the difficulty. So the shame spiral keeps a negative event playing over and over again in our minds. And this only brings more shameful things to the surface from neural networks of other similar associations and round and round we go. A narcissist's protective part will be fierce and probably appear frequently and in many forms. For example, it might look like rage with explosive anger, yelling, name calling, belittling, insulting, cussing, threatening. And this is terrifying. When this happens, our protective part shows up, which is why victims of toxic abuse tend to believe that they're the toxic ones. They might react with similar behaviors such as yelling back, insulting, or anything they can find at the time to use against the attacks. Shame appears shortly after that. Why did I do that? I can't believe I said all those things. What's wrong with me? Maybe they're right. So of course shame is painful. And, and then guess what shows up with these types of thoughts? more protective self. The protective self shows up and then it's back to the shame spiral. The protective self doesn't help you do the right thing. It really only keeps you from feeling pain. That's the protective self's only job, to keep the pain from hurting you. The protective self goes to great lengths to keep you from feeling pain. Sometimes the tactics used by the protective self only bring about more shame. So we can become so filled with shame that we believe that we're not even deserving of love or respect or joy. And that's when the shame is toxic. And that is when we are susceptible to being caught in codependency or dependency. A chronic sense of unworthiness leads to dependency on something else besides the self because we feel like we can no longer trust the self. Our protective self tries to avoid the painful feelings of hopelessness and disconnection. In codependency, we become people pleasers and caretakers. 
We do our best to manage the emotions of those around us in order to have some sense of control over our own lives. But the problem is, just as in the case with addiction, our lives become unmanageable. Our communication style changes to avoid conflict instead of approaching needs, wants, experiences with direct statements or requests, we conjure up indirect methods to try to discreetly get our needs met or our points across without raising suspicion from the narcissist. Because if the narcissist suspects that we actually have our own independent individual needs, wants, and opinions, we all know that things will go bad because that never goes well. We all know what happens when you stand up for a belief that differs from the narcissist. Codependents usually have some history of shame in their childhood, some experience along the way that imprinted shame as a means of control. So shame is familiar to them. For example, shame on you. Did you ever hear this as a kid? Parents frequently used to use this phrase to manage the behaviors of their kids. And while shame is a normal emotion, which is why parents use it, because it's so very powerful, um, it's damaging. A small amount of embarrassment is, I mean, that is necessary to keep from acting out in negative ways that would otherwise cause disorder, but shame is something much deeper. Shame doesn't help with small adjustments, like mispronouncing a word. Shame paralyzes us with feelings of inadequacy. Most people that are codependent grew up with at least some feelings of shame. Maybe they grew up with parents who were incapable of showing or handling emotions, or maybe their caregivers needed more themselves than they were able to give. Maybe they left some of their children's needs unmet, such as basic human need for attention or unconditional love, or emotional support. If these fundamental needs go unmet, or if there is emotional abandonment, then children learn to feel devalued. And feeling devalued is what leads to a sense of shame. One of the most painful things about shame is that it gives us a sense of disconnect. We feel disconnected from others, we feel disconnected from ourselves, and more importantly, we feel disconnected from our higher power. We feel separate from everything, and shame dredges up the need and the desire to hide, because otherwise we feel exposed and vulnerable. And when this happens, it's almost impossible to allow ourselves to be seen. There are some common underlying beliefs that accompany the feelings of shame. Basically, they're all along the lines of something being fundamentally wrong with us, such as, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, I have no value, something along these lines. These beliefs manifest into various cognitions, such as, I'm an idiot, or I'm a fool, or I'm just a fake, um, or I'm too selfish, or something is wrong with me. And when our brain delivers these horrible messages, of course we want to hide, for our very survival, shame causes depression, anxiety, aggression, addiction, and codependency, to name a few. Shame causes some people to hide behind a thick wall of indifference. 
and sometimes behind rage and sometimes behind superiority or grandiosity and things like accomplishments, status, appearances, charm. Shame itself is sometimes even hidden from our conscious awareness and masks as other emotions such as anger or sadness. Shame can be activated at any time, which brings up the mask. There could simply be a memory that rises to the surface because of some random neuroassociation that floods the brain with shame. A lot of times it happens when a harmless comment gets distorted, like when you innocently ask somebody about their preference for something and your question is misinterpreted as some slight on their opinion or something. Your question was Sincerely, nothing more than information seeking, but their brain applied a new meaning to it based on their own insecurities or former experiences. And when someone's mask is activated by, sh by shame, it appears in lots of different forms, including anger, jealousy, boasting, indifference, insults, anything along those lines. So pay attention to not only the shame-based mask appearance of others, but also to your own, to when your own protective self wants to put up a mask. Noticing this is the first step to recovery. Bring it into your awareness. Name it if you want to. Sometimes that makes it easier to recognize. Just give it a name. Practice experiencing shame, just sitting with it and feeling it and being with it. Like, this is shame. Okay, I'm going to feel it. It hurts. The longer that you can allow yourself to stay with this pain of shame, the better you become at managing it without the automatic reactive need to hide behind a mask so that that mask doesn't have to automatically come up. This is how you get back to the authentic emotions and your authentic self. And this is how you return to soul. It hurts, but it heals. Allow yourself to feel the shame, bring the pain through your body, and bring it into your awareness, and stay with it long enough to begin the healing process and the restoration. Your brain will eventually work through the protective layers to get to the realization underneath that you are not in this alone and that there is nothing wrong with having needs or feelings of your own. And when you begin to understand this at a deep level, your brain will allow more feelings, emotions, and sensory experiences to flow through you. This is when your world begins returning to full color and you'll hear vibrant sounds and brilliant sensory experiences. And this is where life is. And this is where you will find meaning and joy. Thank you for listening to the Inner Source Healing Podcast. It is important to give yourself the self-compassion that you deserve and remember that your feelings matter. If you want more information or want to contact me, please visit my website at www.innersourcetherapy.com.